This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. Three on the way! Yes! Paul George nails it! For the win! All right, Dunks and Discourse 45, alternate Michael Jordan edition. Um, I'm joined this week by the great Jeff Perlman. Jar- Jabari's taking a day off. Jeff, how you doing, man? Uh, I mean, I'm okay, but I am, as I told you before you started recording, I might be great and I might have a lot of books written, but I've been reassigned to the floor of my son's bedroom because he had to play Minecraft with his stinking friends. So yeah, You know what? Downsizing is everywhere, even even in the apartment, man. It's just, uh, <laughs> It's rampant. Yeah. <laughs> What can you do? It's all right. Uh, yeah, not unlike my students, Jeff's son is he's uh, he's playing the games Minecraft, Roblox. Don't even, I still to this day don't even know what the difference is between the two of them. But uh, is Emmett a big basketball fan at least? He is not. We play a lot, and he has he might have the best jersey collection of all time as far as <laughs> obscure players, and he probably owns about forty jerseys. Average price probably six bucks, but he does not watch a ton. We don't watch a ton of sports actually. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, I mean that that's. Uh, you, you probably did what you could, but <laughs> you know sons what? and dads, you know? I, one of the things is when I was I, – I never wanted to be the dad who was just spending – wasting his time with his kids always in front of a TV. And sure. if it was a difference of going somewhere, going to a park or going to a museum or something or sitting inside watching a basketball game, I, maybe I went on the side of caution, but we usually went somewhere, you know, so – I don't think that's a bad call, man. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, like as we were talking before the show, like the world's turned into this weird situation where like human interaction, getting outside is like not the norm anymore. So, you know, yeah. those memories might really, really count going forward. Yep. Um, enough on the depressing side, though. I, I brought Jeff on. He's he's putting out a book, Three Ring Circus, um, focused on Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and that three-peat that we all love to talk about and reminisce constantly every day. Uh, on Twitter, uh, Jeff, just just first thoughts. Writing the book, what was the biggest challenge? Oh man, I mean, it's interesting because it's an era that's been written about a lot, and it's an era that's been dissected in the age of social media. So it's not like there was a shortage of material on Shaq and Kobe and and that era. But when you're writing a book, one of your goals is to actually come up with new information, find new material and find stories that have never been told before. So it was a super, super deep dive. And for me personally, kind of a Herculean effort to, you know, track down absolutely everyone, not just the obvious guys, but the training camp invitees and the ball boys and the just all the people whose stories haven't been told. And that's a, it's a freaking lot of work. Yeah. I'm really excited about this one. Um, I'm not even a Lakers guy. I'm not a Kobe guy, but I just, I feel like they're, Kobe and Shaq are probably the two most polarizing guys that I came up with. And, and their run, despite like them, and you, you say in your description for the book, like despite them loathing each other and having these public spats, I mean, they accomplished so much. And we're seeing right now in the NBA with like 
Kawhi Leonard and <laughs> Luka Doncic and James Harden. And there's all the next guy, the next guy, the next guy. But a three-peat is just not something that happens very easily. No, I agree. And I think um, I was just talking to someone else about this. It's it's a weird era in basketball because players have so much power. And, I mean, really, if you look at the Lakers now, the most powerful person with the Lakers isn't Jeannie Buss. Uh, it's not Rob Palenka. It's not Frank Vogel. It's LeBron James. And back in the day when teams were being built, I mean, you talk about the Boston Celtics of the 1980s. It was Red Auerbach, and he was piecing players together. And the most powerful guy was the general manager of that team. Um, so it's really hard from an organizational standpoint to build because you don't have the power you used to have. And if a player's fed up, he's getting out of there. You know, if Kawhi Leonard is dictating the course of his career, and I'm not saying it's bad, but it makes it harder. So those those kind of three-peats and repeats, they're very, very rare and hard to come by these days. Yeah, and even, I mean, we looked at Kevin Durant and Steph Curry felt like such a home run hit together. And yep. obviously they were, and they were so talented. And, and, and I mean, they, the not three, not four, not five was being applied to them by just about anybody and everybody the second they got together because that was the talent level. But, you know, the personalities is another thing. Like you said, when players have had it, that that's it. And... uh I think it's remarkable. I mean, I, I don't know when the next team to three-peat will be. Yeah. I, wait, I, one thing that's interesting you just said, I think is really a great point. Like, all right, they're on this amazing run in Golden State. Everything is going great, even when they lose in the finals. This is a juggernaut of a team. And then Kevin Durant decides he doesn't want to do it anymore. Well, that's the end of it. I mean, Shaq and Kobe did not really enjoy one another's company. There were certainly times before Kobe was about to become a free agent where he didn't want to play with Shaq, but he found Shaq an annoyance and a nuisance and he wanted to do it on his own. But he didn't really have the power to say, I'm out of here, I'm done, and then make it happen. You know, like, those are dynasty killers. Um, and it just didn't exist back then. Not in the same way it does now, certainly. No, it's definitely it's definitely changed. Um, I just had a curiosity. Uh, Kobe passed, obviously, January 26th of this year. When you were writing, had you submitted this, uh, you know, for editing? Were you in that process or were you still writing at that time? No, the book was done. It was 100% done. Did you have to go back and revise anything when that happened or did that change your story at all? The only thing I was able to change was they let me add a uh, an author's note at the beginning. And okay. it's, it's basically three pages. And I thought it was important to sort of explain, like, this book is not, it's definitely not a Kobe love letter. Sure. Um, it's not a, a takedown of Kobe, but he was a difficult guy and he was yes. a difficult player and he was a pain in the ass and he could be challenging and stubborn and arrogant and blah, blah, blah. And I just kind of thought it was important to at least put somewhere that this is a sliver of time in his life. It is not the entirety. And the Kobe Bryant of 25 at age 25 wasn't the Kobe at 41, you know, the, the dad and the husband and the entrepreneur and the Academy Award winner and the youth coach. He was just a different guy. And I really just wanted to get that out there to remind people that people do change and evolve, and it's important to remember that. Yeah, and I, I, I'm one of the reasons I'm really excited to reading this book, and I'm not just blowing smoke your way. Is I like I consider you like a journalist, like in, in this in this current climate, and it's one of the reasons I like your podcast too. Like so many guys are just about access and it's features, 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 and I. I feel like you're going to tell the story, and, and all due respect to Kobe, like his his story is complicated, 
And when he passed, there's, of course, people want to remember the best parts of someone or they want to remember the worst parts of someone. And it's kind of nice. Like this era of basketball is so polarizing. We talked about these two players. It's kind of nice to try to hear, like, what happened. I love that you went on the deep dive and talked to everyone. I'm really excited for it. Well, you know, one thing that bothers me is um, I had this. I wrote a book about Walter Payton years ago and, you know, chronicled his entire life. And at the end of his life, he really suffered from depression uh, you, you know, was cheating on his wife and all this different stuff. And people said, you know, they'd be like, you're, you're really trying to ruin the legacy of Walter Payton. And I, that stuff always drives me crazy because it doesn't take away from someone's legacy to see that they had challenges and difficulties and issues. You know, these guys are not perfect. They're just human beings and they go to the bathroom too, you know, and they burp and they fart and they make mistakes and, you know, they have all the same issues we do. And it is not, it does not take away from a legacy. Like to me, Kobe Bryant, the Kobe Bryant from 96 to 04, who could be difficult and who went through the sexual assault trial and who didn't want to play with Shaq anymore. The more you know about him as a young guy, kind of the more impressive it is the way he won two rings without Shaq. And also the more impressive it is that he emerged as this really beloved public figure. And if you don't know about the challenges, how do you know about sort of what he went through to become what he, he ultimately was. So I always hate that. I'm really opposed to that idea. Yeah, I, I, I legitimately just, just hate the fawn. Like the, the nonstop fawning or hating on guys. Like there's a whole story. And the other thing is like these guys aren't deities. And I, I just think sometimes in the legend of, you know, building up basketball and athletes and celebrities that that sometimes get, gets lost. But I mean, it's okay to criticize a human being because everybody's a human being. Also, it's uh, stupid because... It's just sports. Like it's not that important at the end of the day. It's fun and it's a distraction and it's great and it's meaningful. But at the end of the day, it's just sports and it's okay if these guys aren't perfect. I mean, they're, they're not going to be perfect. So that does not – that should not take away from your enjoyment of a LeBron or a Kobe or Dwayne Wade or whoever. Like they're not perfect. I'm going to break that to you right now. That's okay. They're still great basketball players and they could be great people. Like and and some of the best basketball players. I mean, I I you know I have a, a student who he's eleven and he loves Kobe mm-hmm. and he always talks about Kobe, 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 and he doesn't even know who Shaq is. And I I guess that just shows kind of like the dynamic in the times because Shaq was almost done when this kid was born, and uh, he was like, "Who do you think would win today?" He asked me, "Who do you think would win, Kobe's team or Jordan's team?" And I was like, "Probably Kobe's team because Kobe's team." also had Shaq and uh, he yeah. was like who's Shaq like oh. and I was like wow you know like I, I it's interesting because Jabari who's a big Lakers fan talks about when he and he was in LA at the time when they brought in Shaquille mm-hmm. and he said every it was a Shaq town and then Kobe came and that sort of drowned that out you know covering the league were you at SI at the time I was I was yeah. Is that how you remember it as well like it went from a Shaq Jordan league to Shaq league to Kobe league yeah I think so I mean you know, Shaq, it's an interesting thing. Like, Shaq comes along, and he's as close to being physically larger than life than the cliche larger than life is. You know, like, he actually was larger than 99.9% of us. And it wasn't just that. He was a hip-hop artist who had some success. He was in some really bad movies, but he was in <laughs> movies, you know, and he was starring in movies. He was making millions of dollars. And he, was, he had his own shoe, and he had his own Pepsi line. You know, everything about him was enormous and felt enormous. Um, And I think it's like 
Kobe wasn't there yet because he wasn't there yet as a player. And he was just this young kid coming out of high school. Um, and I think for him to reach his goals as a as an icon, he had to do it without Shaq. Because Shaq just – and I'm not saying it's it was completely right the way Kobe handled it. But Shaq kind of sucked all that oxygen out of the room. It would be very hard to be a marquee star playing on a team with Shaquille O'Neal. So I think that transition actually happened after Shaq left and it was clear how good Kobe was on his own. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think I remember at that time being a huge basketball fan and having the debates like, is Kobe a selfish player? Can he ever win? I, like, I remember those those comments and obviously Pau Gasol comes and the two of them really did get things done. But it, I, he has a really incredible arc. Um, and also, don't you think the answer to that question is both? He was a selfish player, but he was also capable of winning. It was both. Yeah, it was both. It was, and I, but I do I do think about some of the conversations that get blown up, and I think I'll just straight up admit I hated Kobe fans so much for the majority of my time coming up watching basketball fans because they were just so over the top passionate. Yeah. But like the conversations that like in, happened back then when he signed that one contract, I think it was two years, forty nine million dollars towards the end of his career, and uh, the talking point was if he really cared about winning, he would have taken less money. And now here we are 10 years later. And if anyone talks about taking less money, it's like, hey, fuck you. Like, they, why would you take less money? And so I just even think like the way that he was viewed and some of the conversations that happened probably wouldn't occur 10 years later. Yeah, I agree. And that was a really stupid. I hate, I mean, that's just, to me, that's just uninformed sports fans. When you're, it's the same way where it's like, like I wrote Brett Favre's biography and how, how dare Brett Favre not help Aaron Rodgers out? And it's like, yeah, because you don't want to lose his job. You know, like, yeah. you only do this one time. You don't want to lose your job. Would you want to lose your job? If someone came along to me and said, we have this young guy. He's writing books. Soon he's going to be writing your books instead of you. <laughs> well, I'm not helping you. So I do think we place unfair. How dare he not be loyal to the city? How dare he not take less money? How dare he not? Like, these guys have limited shelf lives. They got to do what they can do. You know, they have families to take care of. And you want to build up as much of a nest egg as you can. That's true. That's great. Now we're gonna pay him less. We're gonna put him in your desk, and we're hoping we can you can help that transition. Yeah. go as smoothly as possible. Yeah, I think I'll pass on that one. It sounds yeah. like a good deal. But I'm gonna pass. Sorry. So, so I mean, I, I'm I'm guessing there's some absolute gems in here. I know you're not gonna give them all up on the pod, but what's something you know you came across in one of these interviews, or you know, a tweak that you heard in one of these famous like Kobe Shaq spats, or um, you know, running into one of these playoff games that you know you think is gonna blow people away. Well. One thing I love, maybe it won't blow people away, but like an area that I went heavy micro in is how close Kobe came to not being a Laker and how the single person who gets the blame for that is John Calipari. Um, the Entering the 96 draft, the Nets were committed to taking Kobe Bryant. They actually told his parents were taking Kobe Bryant. They had the number eight pick in the draft. Kobe was probably going to be there. We're taking Kobe Bryant. John Nash, the general manager of the Nets, we're taking Kobe Bryant. And what happened is, you know, behind the scenes, Jerry West and the Lakers had worked out Kobe and they loved everything about it. It was the best workout Jerry West had ever seen. And they brought him back and it was another of the best workouts they'd ever seen. And Jerry West was committed to taking Kobe Bryant and Kobe's agent was Arn Tellum, who happened to be a close friend of Jerry West. And they were, you know, this idea started to blossom. Um, it would be great to have Kobe in L.A. He just signed a sneaker deal with Adidas. It'd be great to have Kobe in L.A. So... Arn Tellum calls the Nets and tells John Calipari, who's the new coach of the Nets at that time, if you guys take Kobe, he's going to Italy for a year. He's not going to play. And Calipari's like, oh, my God. Holy shit. Oh, my God. 
and he tells the general manager, John Nash. And John Nash is like, man, they're bluffing. They're just bluffing. You don't have, don't believe that. Well, then, Kerry Kittle's out of Villanova. He desperately wants to play with the Nets and stay local. He goes to um, his agent, calls John Calipari, and says, if you don't take Kerry Kittle, I'm never going to have a player sign with you again. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Goes to John Nash. Oh, my God. Cal, they're, they're bluffing. They're bluffing. And Cal's <laughs> freaking out. He's like, I, I, I'm in my first year. I want to last in this league. Uh, am I going to risk it all taking a high school kid? And at the last minute, I mean, the Nets are 100% committed. Kobe Bryant is who they will take. They worked him out three or four times. They were 100% on board. John Calipari, right before the draft, says, all right, here's what we're going to do. If Kerry Kittles is available at number eight, we're taking Kittles. And <laughs> if he's not there, we're taking Kobe Bryant. And John Nash, the general manager, was despondent. He was basically like, I, I, we're screwed. This is terrible. And Kerry Kittles is there at number eight. He's a very good player at Villanova. He's drafted by the Nets. He's a very good average career. And yeah. behind the scenes, Jerry West worked out this deal with Charlotte where if Kobe's there at 13, um, we'll trade you Vlade Divac, a legit star center, and you'll get us Kobe Bryant. And at, when that happened, Jerry West said to Jerry Bussey under the Lakers, I just got you the best player in this draft. And he was right. He did. I mean, <laughs> that's a great story. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm laughing, too, because my former producer is a huge Nets fan. And he loves Kerry Kittles, and I, yeah, I think, <laughs> I, I think hearing this might put an interesting spin. You know, and I wonder. I would love to hear the commentary like a year after that because Kittles did have a solid rookie season, and Kobe wasn't getting a lot of minutes in LA year one. And I wonder if like, you know, we, we do this every year with these lists now and this this constant you know dialogue on who's better than who. But at the time, you're like, okay, yeah, Kittles turned out pretty good. But look at you know what Kobe's career became. And man, that ninety. All right, but here's the answer. I think. A 96 draft was insane. I mean, it's insane. It's insane. Steve Nash, Iverson, Marbury, Ray Allen. I mean, on and on and on. But um, here's the thing, if you really want to take it deeper. So first of all, I talked to Kerry Kittles for the book. And he's like, yeah, I would have drafted Kobe too. Like even <laughs> Kerry Kittles was like, I would have drafted Kobe. But then um, let's say Kobe goes to the Nets, right? And John Calipari is a head coach. And Kobe would have been their best even as a 17, 18 year old kid, he probably would have been their best offensive option. I mean, it wasn't going to be Ed O'Bannon or Khalid Reeves. So Kobe starts for the Nets. He's, you know, shooting 32% from the field, but he's taking 23 shots a game. He probably averages 19, 20 points a game. Um, he becomes this thing on the Nets. I, he worked hard. He was a great, great player. There's no guarantee he's not Russell Westbrook or Dominique Wilkins, or Carmelo Anthony. You know, there's just no guarantee, because the Nets have been, the Nets organization has a pretty impressive record of ruining people. <laughs> Jeff, this is these are my favorite rabbit holes, man. These are these these are the conversations I love to have. And I, I looked I'm like literally as you're telling me this story, I'm like looking at the Nets transactions at basketball reference in ninety six and I'm looking <laughs> it looks like Jim Jackson, Kendall Gill, he would have been competing with. And I, I think I was thinking about that too and I'm like maybe it would have been like a triple J Ranch thing. Where like Nets fans were mad at young Kobe from taking shots away from like Jim Jackson, and they run, they run him out of town, not knowing who he is at that time. Um, that's, that's awesome. Pretty, yeah. But the funny thing is, is like then you think about it if you really like these conversations, and you're like, you know, Kerry. I mean, um, Jim Jackson was a pretty good player. Kendall Gill was a pretty good player. Maybe those '96 '97 Nets. You know, Sam Cassell was a point guard. 
you know, um, I don't know. Maybe they're they made that trade that year. They made that trade that year at Dallas, where they get Sam Cassell and they get Jimmy Jackson and Chris Gatling comes aboard. I don't know. Maybe Kobe Bryant. Maybe we're talking about the Nets dynasty now. Yeah, you never know. I mean, when I did the kids so. get traded to New, New Jersey? Uh, that was a bunch of years later. That was uh, yeah. and that was yeah, that was the Marbury trade. I mean, there's all sorts of things that never happened. If Kobe yeah, I mean, you, yeah, you never know. And you always do that, and you're like, oh, they could have drafted X, Y, and Z, but then how do the records change? And um, yeah, that's a great story, man. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you to the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to help make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you you to that important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million other businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team and player and coach props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anyone else. You can get in on their season open bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today, online today, excuse me, and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at betonline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Uh, as, aside from Kobe, what was the most interesting Shaq or Phil tidbit from the book that maybe somebody hasn't heard? Uh, man, I mean, there's a. Uh... This is kind of related to Kobe. Can I relate it to Kobe? Is that okay? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, there was a great Kobe Shaq fight um, at a gym where it was during the strike year and a bunch of the players were working out. It was at a community college gym and there used to be these pickup runs where NBA players would show up and college players. Like you'd get players from Long Beach State and UCLA and UC Irvine and a bunch of NBA players. So like Olden Polonese was there. And it's this run... And Shaq and Kobe are on other team, on opposite teams, and um, you know, Shaq calls a foul. I guess Shaq used to call fouls nonstop and pick up basketball, and that's what older Polonies told me. You can see that too. You can, yes. you can feel that. Yeah, sure. and basically, uh, am I allowed to curse on your podcast or is that? Another? Yeah, go for it, man. Yeah, I mean, basically, Shaq is calling these fouls, and Kobe's just like, "Will you stop being a bitch?" They're on opposite teams. And Shaq's like, I know you're not talking to me. And he's like, yeah, I'm talking to you. Stop being a bitch. And Shaq's basically like, you know, I can get you traded to Vancouver in a second. And they're going back and forth. And at some point, Shaq just walks up to Kobe and smacks him. And 
Olden Polonies gets between the two of them and like is breaking this thing up, you know? And like, it's funny because Olden Polonies told me he was only playing that day because he heard that, um, that, uh, the, the Lakers, uh, Mitch Kupchak, the GM was going to be at the gym that day. And he wanted to impress him because he wanted to sign with the Lakers when the strike ended. And meanwhile, he's breaking up this brawl between Shaq and Kobe. And it's just like, you know, Shaq really didn't like him. Like, Shaq really didn't like him. People, you're here in hindsight, it's like, oh, he's just an actor. Oh, no. Like, he did not like him. Like, he, Shaq found him obnoxious. He knew he wanted to be the center of the offense. Um, he didn't listen. Shaq really wanted this Batman and Robin relationship. Kobe had no interest in it whatsoever. Shaq wanted to be the big brother, little brother thing. No interest in it whatsoever. It was just this really awkward pairing of two great players. And, you know, it took a long time for that. When Shaq, when Kobe died, Shaq's sadness was obviously very real and very profound. And those tears were real and profound. But I don't think it was like... I'm losing my best friend. I think it was, I'm losing someone who I accomplished a lot with and who I have a lot of history with. And I think that people, I mean, they construct how these want, they want these relationships to be when they're watching this, this game and and talking about it. But I I think that's very real too. And like, sometimes a colleague is a colleague and you shared some real highs and some real lows and maybe you didn't meet up for beers and you were never like, you're my brother for real, but there's still a bond there. There's a, a, a longing, a lasting impression that's made from that. I remember when I was covering uh, Major League Baseball and I was doing a lot of San Francisco Giants and everybody wanted Barry Bonds and Jeff Kent to have this buddy relationship. Like people were always looking for the story of, oh, look, they high-fived or, oh, they're having a conversation. And like they hated each other. They didn't like each other. <laughs> but it didn't really matter because they were both really good. So that's okay. It's like we want these guys to be buddy buddies because we like the narrative and we like the images. But yeah. you don't like everyone you work with. Just the, the and there was an age disparity too. You know they weren't going to be hanging out together. It just wasn't realistic. Um, Shaq and like that story you were telling about with, with them fighting and whatnot. Uh, I, I can literally I can feel it, and I'm sure that's going to get aggregated out out the wazoo when your book comes out. What's uh? I and I, I don't want to make you tell all of these these great mm-hmm. stories on the pod, but like, what do you think is the most aggregated quote? Or moment from your book that like just gets totally run away with by every outlet. Oh man, I mean, um, the book opens. <laughs> I'm not like a fight. I'm not, I'm not like it's not all about the fights, but <laughs> the book. Well, there are two things actually. At the end of the 0304 season, this might be the quote. The uh, at the end of the 0304 season, the um, they lose to the Pistons in the finals, and when that is over. The Lakers have like a team party, like a shindig thrown by Jerry Buss in Detroit. And they um like the co- night of? Yeah, the night the party they they lose to Detroit. Wow. And then it's over, but they're not flying back that night. So Jerry Jerry Buss sort of arranges a little shindig for the team afterwards, right? It's just at the hotel and whatever in the bar area and it's a private party and blah blah blah. And I got this Kareem Rush was a guard with the Lakers. And Kareem Rush was a rookie. And he's like, I don't know, this was a pretty great year. We made the NBA Finals. We're, we're talented. This is great. And he said, Kobe walked in, sat down across from him, and said, I ain't playing with that motherfucker again. <laughs> I mean, 
And Kareem Rush is like, wait, what? You know, like Kareem Rush is like, this is amazing. I can't believe I'm a part of this. This is so great. And it's like, yeah, I'm not playing with that motherfucker again. And that was it. You know, that was it. Like there was no later on when, when Kobe held a press conference, he held a press conference when he re-signed with the Lakers after threatening to go to the Clippers. Yeah. And he was asked, did Shaq being traded have anything to do with you coming back? And he's like, oh, no, no, that nothing. It was a total lie. Um, I mean, it was probably an acceptable lie in the context, but like, sure, he wasn't coming back with Shaq was back. There's no chance about it. He wasn't coming back with Phil was back. He didn't want either of them around anymore. He he made it clear this is my time. So I ain't playing with that motherfucker again. Might be the <laughs> quote that hangs uh, hangs there. I, I feel like that's a, that's a strong guess. Do you have a couple more minutes for a couple more questions? Of course. I was thinking what your book might help do, and and, and just time as well, is even though they. they there's this relationship was obviously so fragile. The fact that they did what they did is going to turn the narrative from Shaq and Kobe should have got five to, wow, it's fucking amazing that they got three. And I agree. I, I think that's been building, but I think some of these quotes are really going to have some of the bigger names in the business really pushing the other side of this because that's kind of where I'm at at this point. You hear these things and you look at what's going on in the league and you're like, it's amazing that they got three in a row. Yeah, well, you know, like um, when you promote books, you get asked certain questions repeatedly, which is totally cool and fine. I mean, it's totally I'm happy people are talking about it. And um, one of them in is how many titles could they, could they have won if they didn't part? And it's not a real question because they couldn't have like they weren't going to play together again. So it's like you mean if Kobe was a different person and Shaq was a different person and they, you know, like all of a sudden they had brain transfer. I mean, it wasn't going to happen. They were done. It was just it was over. It ran its course. It was great. It's kind of like I wrote my first book was about the 1986 Mets. And people say, how many how many World Series should the Mets have won? Well, do you mean if Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry weren't addicted to cocaine? Because they were. So none. You know, like it's not, it's just not, things run their course for reasons. You know, it's just, it's not sustainable. Well, and I, I think people always are like, if Shaq and Kobe could have just worked it out. And I was one of those people for a long time. If they could have just worked, like if they could have just put it aside. And then you like, you start working jobs and you... You feel the the toll it takes on your psyche when the guy next to you just drives you up the wall, and then you look at like LeBron and, and Dwayne Wade. And granted, health and age was a factor, but they were the best of friends. They still didn't get three, and LeBron still chose to leave. So I mean, things happen, man. Like, also, I agree with what you just said. Like, it sucks working with someone you don't enjoy. Like, it sucks. It's not fun. You know, like it's not fun going to work when the person you're with is a pain in your ass. And you know doesn't like you and you don't like them. And I know you can go and you're in different parts of the locker room and you have your friends. But it, who wants to – like I actually get it from Kobe's standpoint. Like I don't want to deal with this crap anymore. I'm not actually enjoying this. I don't want to play with this guy anymore. I want to prove I can do it on my own. I'm not saying it was a good decision for the organization. And I'm not saying it was a selfless decision. But I mean I get it. You know, like you're just – you're kind of beaten down by all this crap and you want to move on. The other, um, the, I had two quick ones that Kobe said, uh, what was it? Was it 05 or 06 that he requested the trade? And it's rumored that he almost went for, was it, was it Rip Hamilton to the Pistons? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But that was after my book. So I don't want to pretend I'm an expert on that area. Oh, okay. So you yeah. didn't, okay. And I mean, he something? almost, he came very, 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 very close to going to the Clippers in 2004. Very close. Yeah. And, and what was the deal there? He he didn't want to. Well, 
he didn't want to uh, play with Shaq anymore. He didn't want to be coached by Phil anymore. He liked the idea of going to an organization, kind of being the face of it and starting over. I think he really liked the, the idea of staying in L.A. and handing it to the Lakers. He was going through his sexual assault trial yeah. and flying back and forth to Eagle, Colorado. It was a brutal year for him, a brutal year for him. And at the end, basically, the Lakers acquiesced to everything he asked for, and um, he stayed. But he was really – there was one point they were playing the Clippers. Mike Dunleavy was a coach of the Clippers at that point. And uh, during a game, Kobe says to him, wow, Dunleavy is standing on the sidelines. Get me out of here. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Pointed guy. Um, there's a hypothetical that always goes around. They talk about, like, if Shaq had – Tracy, if Shaq had Vince, if Shaq had Ray, if Shaq had Iverson, the Lakers are still winning three. And Lakers fans are like, no fucking way. And people who love all those other guys and didn't get to see them win are like, absolutely, they were that good. And and it's another one that I won't lie, I love getting getting dirty in that one. What's your, what's your take on that? Do you think that Kobe and Shaq, despite not liking each other, pushed each other to be significantly better? Or do you kind of go the other way and think like, oh, look at Prime Tracy. He could have also been in there winning. Uh, this is not going to be a popular answer with Laker fans. But that's okay. I think a Shaq Iverson combination is freaking lethal. You know? Like lethal. And I don't think Iverson was nearly as I think Iverson would have been pretty happy racking up fifteen assists and averaging twenty one points and getting the ball to Shaq. I think that would have been deadly. I don't know if it would have worked with McGrady. I think Vince Carter and Shaq is a pretty freaking deadly combination. Um I mean Kobe was a special talent. Sure. He really was. He was but Iverson was too. So they all, they, I mean, it, it, it's way more nuanced than people make it out to it be is. because they all got their points in different ways and their personalities were all different. But you all think if Shaq liked one of them significantly more and that was reciprocated, you do think I, – I tend to think that maybe there was a window for more. All right. Here's what I think. I don't think Kobe Alonzo Mourning wins an NBA title. Maybe they win one, but they're not a dynasty. Yeah. I think Iverson Shaq could be a dynasty. Fair enough. Um, okay, last one. I'll get you out of here. And again, thank you so much for the time. Yes, yeah, it's fun. I really appreciate it. Um, if you could write, uh, I'm sure Three Ring Circus is going to be a smash hit. If you could write any other book about any other team or period of basketball that you wanted, what would you pick and why? You know, uh, a guy I used to work with named Jack McCallum wrote a really good book about the 80s Celtics. But I think they're still, I think the 80s Celtics are fascinating. Like, I know I date myself a little bit. But, I mean, Larry Bird, McHale, Parrish, Dennis Johnson, Red Auerbach. You know, I wrote the Lakers Showtime book. It would almost be like the opposite. It'd be, I, I think I would really love to write that book. In That'd fact, I'm sitting here talking about it thinking I need to put that on my list of future books because I actually – I just love that era. I love the 80s. I love how raw everybody was and how Bird and Magic would not talk to each other and how there's a photo of like Dr. J strangling Larry Bird. You know, that's just <laughs> – it was so raw and bitter and heated. Um, I think that'd be really fun. I, I would read it, man. I would You're the one. Does it does it kill you when you see like the Twitter highlight thing from a 15 year old talking about how like Larry Bird couldn't play today or whatever? Uh, not do really. Do you see those? <laughs> yeah, I do. And I'm like, you don't. You know what's funny though? I actually think it is kind of. I think this a lot. Like, if you show a kid, a 15 year old kid, Larry Bird clips or Barkley, Barkley and Bird are the two ones. Could, I could see kids being like, that guy couldn't play today. Like, Barkley's like 6'5", getting 15 rebounds a game. You know, like, and Bird, you know, he 
I mean, stereotypical, but he looks like this goofy, slow white guy who blah, blah, blah. And the thing I always hated about Larry Bird, like the reputation, is be, it was always so lazy. They'd be like, not a great athlete, but that guy is an insane athlete. That guy's hand-eye coordination was off the charts. That guy could release a shot as quick as anyone who's ever come along. I always thought it was a really lazy indictment of Larry Bird to be like, he's not a good athlete. He's not a good athlete. He's a freaking all-time great athlete. He just didn't look the part as we were cliched to think. So I, um, he would light it up now. Larry Bird would be a great NBA player right now. I, I feel like, too, every time those go around, I end up watching them for eight minutes. And I'm always like, do people actually watch these? Because like, the passing alone. Like people always think with magic with passing and bird with shooting, but like the way that I, I didn't grow up watching those guys play, and every time I watch them, I'm like, man, bird has so many filthy passes, like oh, yeah. just unbelievable. Jeff, man, it was it was uh, it was a blessing to have you on today, dude. Um, Jeff at Jeff Perlman on Twitter. Three Ring Circus is the book. You guys are gonna want to pick this up. Thanks so much for hopping on, man. <laughs>